You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hello, hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Too Smart for This, a show for the smart and superficial girls everywhere. Today is one of those days where I just feel so lucky to have a platform where I get to talk to the coolest people on the internet because today we have It's Really Nana, who is one of my favorite follows and the CEO and founder of Every Stylish Girl, which I am sure you've heard of because it's an incredible platform that connects black and brown women and women everywhere to fashion and media. And they also have Every Stylish Girl Biz on Instagram, which is so fun. I love watching all of their content. It is so helpful. And in today's episode, Nana and I get into her experience in the corporate world and how that informed her experience as an entrepreneur and also some really helpful tips for anyone who wants to start their own business. But more importantly, really helpful tips for anyone who's just trying to survive in this corporate world. We talk about negotiation. We talk about what it's like to make the decision to leave or to go to a new company and some really helpful tips for networking, especially if you're just starting out in your career. So with all that being said, of course, we got into the fun stuff at the end and talked a little bit about dating, which Nana talks about on her Instagram in her highlight. Nana talks all the time. So we had some good laughs and I just want to say thank you so much to Nana for coming on the show because this was such a great conversation and I know it will inspire and help so many of you. So be sure to follow her everywhere. Everything is linked down below. And don't forget to download her ebook, which she mentioned in the show, if you're someone interested in having a really tight and well thought out social media presence. So you don't have to be an influencer, but also just anyone who wants to have a great social media presence. She's got all the tips for you. Um, it's important to mention in her background that she did not just like come out of the gate starting her own business. She has worked at the New York Times. She has her master's degree in journalism from Columbia University and also graduated from the George Washington University with a bachelor's degree in digital communication and media. She also worked at Elle at Refinery29 at New York Magazine, where she was the Cuts Instagram creator or not creator, but she ran the cuts Instagram, which if you know anything about Instagram and the best follows, the cut is one of them. So to grow that to over a million followers is a major, major feat. And she did that. So this woman has incredible expertise. Thank you so much again for coming on and let's get into the episode. Welcome to Too Smart for This, and I'm so excited to talk to you. 
Thank you so much for having me. I was just listening to your episode with Chrissy and I was just cracking up. Like you two together were so entertaining. She really is the best. So I'm, I loved having her on, but I love to start off with a few rapid fire questions. Just so if the audience doesn't know you, they can get to know you a little bit better. And you know, it, it, it starts off with a little bit of fun. So are you ready? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> First one is, what are your big three in astrology? If you're an astrology girl, if you're not, hit me with your favorite personality test. Yeah, so one of my close friends is like obsessed with astrology. And so I know that obviously like I'm indecisive because that's like a typical Libra trait. And I'm very like, I feel like I'm a pretty like over-organized person. It almost gives a little bit of Virgo in there because they always have like a to-do list. They're always like, I need to stay organized. I need to prep. I need to like make sure everything is aligned and scheduled. And then person, another personality trait, I would say I'm pretty like risk averse as well. So I would say those are probably my top three. Okay. I'm so excited to dive into all three of those because risk averse is one I struggle with too. So not struggle with, but you know, deal with. So, okay. Next one is what is your hometown and where do you live now? So my hometown is a little bit all over the place. Um, I was born in Newark, New Jersey. I lived there for about like almost eight to nine years of my life. And I mean, there it was such an urban city, super diverse. And then just got moved away to Pickerington, Ohio, which is super rural, lots of farm, lots of animals. And it was just like the biggest culture shock ever. And then, you know, I went back to my roots. And then after college, I moved to New York City, where I currently reside now, uh, because I could not see myself living away and tucked in like the suburbs for the rest of my life. Oh my God, I that is crazy. I had the opposite experience. I lived in like rural Missouri and then moved to St. Louis, which is like a bigger city, and then obviously ended up in New York. But where did you go to college? So I went to college at GW, George Washington University in DC. Lovely. And what made you choose GW? And what did you study? (laughs) I'm a little bit of a follower in a way because I have an older brother. And I really look up to his actions and what he does. And I kind of watch them carefully. And I'm like, hmm, this looks good. I'll go for it. So he went to GW, actually. (laughs) And I ended up visiting him a few times. I I remember this particular week, and I went to visit him. He's actually one of the first ever Black fraternities at GW that had a house, right? So like they give a lot of housing to the white fraternities and sororities, but very few attention to the Black ones. So my brother was able to really fight for that opportunity for his Kappa Alpha Psi frat to have a house there. So I remember going to go visit him and like he just being this like leader on campus and and so many people looked up to him and I was like oh my gosh I want to go here. <laughs> like I want to go here and I want to continue out like my brother's legacy and literally I did. I remember like the first few months everyone was like oh you're Quasi sister, you're Quasi sister, you're Quasi sister. And I was like oh my god how can I, I know I should have done this because now I'm like not my own person but I slowly became my own person and it's kind of like a running joke but I'm like the celebrity of GW now because even you know years after graduating people still say oh my god like I can't believe every stylish girl went here which was like my nickname when I was at college there. Oh my goodness that is amazing and it's my dream for 
for one of my siblings to do that for me. And they're like, Alexis, you're so lame. I'm not going to Northwestern. But like, I love that you did that. And that is so cute. And I, I want to get into that legacy and like how you built the brand, obviously. So what is something off the top of your head that, about you that makes you feel smart? She didn't quite go to business school, but she went to, um, the name. it's like, the, the, like a technical program. So she was very good at like negotiating, putting together spreadsheets, all the type of admin kind of things. And so she just always taught me from a young age, like, you know, how to negotiate, how to talk about numbers, how to ask for what you're looking for, how to budget properly. So I really feel like when it comes to finances, like I'm kind of a beast at that. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm obsessed with that because that is also something like a lot of women particularly struggle with. So I think that's such a good strength to have. My mom always pushed. She was like financial freedom, financial freedom. Like, so whether it comes to like property, investment, just savings, all of that, she kind of ingrained that in me at such a young age. I love that. And that's so important. I think a lot of women, even in the past, like few generations, like didn't think of that. And then, you know, it hurts them. And so it's so great to know that like you've had that from a young age. And I'd love to hear what you did with it. We all need, we always need a financial tip. The girls always need it. Okay. So then switching gears, what is something that makes you feel superficial? I mean, I guess for me, like I, it's, it's so funny because the past two weeks I haven't had my nails done because I want to give them a breather. I would say it's almost been two years since I haven't had a gel manicure. Like I always have my nails and my feet done. I go every two weeks. I never slip up. But yeah, this past month, and it's so funny because I posted a photo like just of my outfit and all my followers are so observant. This girl messaged me and she's like, oh my God, I love your natural nails. I notice you've been wearing them. Like it's giving Princess Diana. And I was like, oh my God, wow, thank you. Like I didn't even like, I have good nail beds. Wow, okay. So <laughs> it's just little things, especially when it comes to like our skincare and our grooming. I think when people notice that it's, it's just like the biggest compliment ever. Truly, I 100% agree. Like, it's so nice. And I feel you. Literally, my plan for my afternoon once we're done with this is to go get a manicure because I haven't had my nails done in two weeks and it needs to stop. But do a manicure and don't get anything on them. I'm telling you, I did that and I can't turn back now. Like, now I'm just like, I want a regular. But uh, to be honest, I stay with my toes done. But just a regular manicure, just seeing them so, like, clean and fresh. It's just something about that. Like, not tainted with anything. Next one is, what is your most important self-care practice? Oh, I would say anything with my face. Like, facials, face masks, eye creams. Just, I'm so sensitive when it comes to my skincare, specifically on my face. I had a moment of, like, adult acne, which I feel like it was just, like, stress and environmental issues just like new york being so polluted and i think it just really got to my skin i had to go to a dermatologist for a few months and after my skin cleared up i was like oh, i'd never want to revert back to that again because yeah it really it really messes with your self-esteem so i would say just you know anything with my face i take really good care of so i wash my face twice a day I use disposable face wipes which i get a lot of controversy about um and yeah, I do the whole nine yards. I do the whole like skincare routine and everything, night and day. 
I love that. It's so crucial. I agree. I've been dealing with like a few breakouts since my move to LA and like, it just feels like it's just because it's a new environment, but it makes you not want to leave the house. And so like taking care of the skin is so crucial. I'm with you on that. I agree. And like, who wants to wear a bunch of makeup every day in the summer? You know? No one. That's the thing. I think really like the ultimate flex is like not having to wear a foundation to feel good. Yes. I'm working towards that. (laughs) Okay. Last rapid fire question is what is the worst advice that you've ever received? Mm, I used to have like my go-to response on this, but I would say that's a tough one. I really, I really pride myself around being around people that advise me in wise ways, but the worst advice yeah i almost want to say like am i allowed to like reverse this question because i think the opposite would be i remember when i was switching jobs and i was comfortable where i was and someone had said to me like the next opportunity you're taking should like scare like the shit out of you literally and if it doesn't don't take that opportunity and i remember thinking from there on like i get so afraid when i'm taking the next big step in my career and i was like why am i so intimidated by this like i have to remember if i am intimidated if it does scare me like it's probably going to take me to new levels and so i would almost switch that and say the worst advice is like leave when you get too comfortable right like none of us want to stay stagnant so when you do feel stagnant don't stay I think people often say, you're comfortable, you're in a good place, like, stay where you are, you know? And I think that's actually the worst advice to ever give. I read this article, and I know this is supposed to be a rapid fire, but I talk a lot. I read this article, which is like one of those like CNBC articles that's like 10 ways to become a millionaire in like a month or whatever. <laughs> but the article was this guy saying he retired by 33. And one of the reasons why he said he did that is because he switched jobs 14 times in 14 years or something like that and so that's a great example to show like never get too comfortable where you are because you're probably missing out on money opportunities you know career advancement etc i feel like i really needed to hear that like in my personal life because i feel like there's this weird like in in the pop culture like zeitgeist at the moment there's either like having this soft life and just like sort of existing and coasting in a way and then there's also this idea that like a soft life is grinding if you want it to be like I don't know that there's I feel like there's this weird place where if you're someone who's ambitious but also likes nice things like there's no like label that's working for you and so having the advice of like you do need like switch it up like growth is important and you don't need to be too comfortable like how do you balance that with the idea of just of wanting to live like a nice luxurious life yeah so you know when i think of soft life i don't think of it more so being something now i look at it as a future goal like when by my 40s i would love to say oh i'm living a soft life right i'm not working as hard i have my investments set up i have like my company set up and like working on its own without me like i created the structure and the schedule like that to me is a soft life right a soft life is something that enables you to enjoy the fruits of your labor and so to me i'm never like 
soft life now is temporary. It's not a permanent state. I want to be in that permanent soft life state in the future. So I'm grinding now. And I know people hate this statement, like grind in your 20s. But I truly believe in the importance of like grinding in your 20s, you know, your 30s, 20s laying that foundation, 30s growing that foundation, and then 40s, like enjoying the foundations that you've built in the past. And that's my soft life. That's my softest. I like that. I think it's so interesting too because Gen Z and this like upcoming generation of like I, I've seen in my corporate job like they're being backlash towards like the generation of Gen Z of like oh these people don't want to work or they do want to work or whatever or like they're not working as hard as in the past and so I wonder like in when it comes to building like career I'd love to hear how you started off your career and what grinding looked like for you then. And then when you went out on your own, how it looks for you now. Yeah, I always say, honestly, social media, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I think it's so easy. You can get so easily influenced, especially through TikTok when you're hearing so many other people's ideologies and you're constantly, if you're hearing that every single day, you're going to start believing. So even when it comes down to like, I shouldn't have to work, I should just make six figures. I could do that through, you know, building my own business, having my own brand. But do you understand how people got there? You know, like it, it took years of putting in that, those hours, that work ethic, that plan, building that network, those relationships. Like that's how you get to that, right? You don't just jump into it. Um, a majority of people are still working hard to implement that foundation before going off and be like, I'm working for myself right away, right? Like it's never that easy of a transition. And I hate that social media pushes that message constantly to people. We posted a really funny meme on every South Girl biz. And this lady was like, going back to my job after six months of making $100 and thinking I could be an influencer. <laughs> but that's so real. Like, that's the reality of it. Like, it's not as easy as you think. Um, and that kind of segues me into my career. Like, I put in years, years of working for other you know, large companies and media companies and building relationships and really building a skill set, right? And learning like what is the what are the etiquettes to pitching, to emailing, to creating, you know, a media company and all of that. And learning how to hire people, right? You asked me a question earlier before we started recording is like, how have I been able to have a team since, you know, I was like 17, I had people working for me. And so all of this was because I've been interning since I was like 15, you know? So I think it's so important to look at kind of like people's backstory first and their trajectory before assuming like they woke up and they became influencers and started working for themselves. I think people, Gen Z overlooks like, now nah, we work so hard to get to where we are now. Totally. I think it also comes with like, because I work at YouTube and obviously like being a YouTuber has taken a lot more work than like being a TikToker, you know? And so like blowing up on TikTok, going from zero to a million in three months, like I think people think that because that's possible, that's how you do it now. But in reality, like to be in this creator economy, it's actually to be in it long term and to have longevity in a space is way more time consuming. And there is no real like overnight success that has longevity that like we like that we can talk about now because we don't know with this TikTok generation who's going to last and who won't. So 
it, you said you've had people working for, for you since you were 17 and that you've had this brand for so long. So would you walk us through your trajectory and like where you started your time at all the different corporations you worked at and like where, how that got you to where you are now? Yeah. So I'm going to take you all the way back. So I actually was a part of the yearbook club when I was in high school and I actually started high school pretty early, but I think most people start what, when they're like 16, right? High school? Yeah, I, I skipped a grade. Oh, okay, whatever. So I was always like one year behind everyone else. So let's say everyone was like 16 or whatever. I was like 14 to turning 15. And so when I was in the yearbook club, I was like the leader of the visual team. And so I had people on my like basically organization that would report into me, right? So that kind of already, I already started to figure out like how to delegate, how to check in on deadlines with people, how to really communicate with a team. Cause it's, it's way easier to just like be on your own, set your own deadlines, do your own thing, but it's so difficult to manage a group of people, especially at such a young age. And so I think having that experience from like being, you know, being one of the leaders in the yearbook organization, I took that same trait to college with me. I was editor-in-chief of our only Black magazine. Shout out to Ace Magazine at GW. So I was editor-in-chief of that magazine throughout college. So from like, I think I became editor-in-chief at like 18 there. And then I did it till I was 20 in college. And so once again, like having a large group of people report to you, editing on deadlines, you know, picking the message, figuring out your audience, what they want to see, what they're interested in, and like making sure continuously every edition that comes out is more successful than the one before. Like I've been doing this for such a long period of time. So I think when it was time for me, my senior year to launch Every Salish Girl, I knew one, I didn't want it to be a print publication because I've been working in print and I was seeing it dying slowly. I was seeing that it wasn't relatable to the Gen Z millennial audience, right? And so there was Instagram, right? And I thought of Instagram as this like shiny new digital toy that was like a digital it could be a digital publication, right? And so I was like, oh, why don't I launch my company on Instagram? I had a YouTube actually, I had a pretty decent following from YouTube as well. Um, and so I was like, oh, why don't I start this on Instagram and like create this audience on there as well? And so when we first started, Instagram was called Every Stylish Black Girl. And how, what it was was kind of like Humans of New York. We used to interview interesting Black women in Washington, D.C. and ask them like how they got their start to their career. So they could work in medicine, they could work in tech, they could work in science, they could work in fashion or beauty. We didn't care. We were just like, you're stylish and we want to know how you got to where you are and how you're breaking these barriers. And so in order to do that, I had to employ people. I had internships for the first year of ESG. And I remember posting these like flyers around campus, like, are you looking for skills in the media industry? Do you want to break into media? Sign up to work at Every Stylish Black Girl. Um, and I remember getting, and I, and I remember being like, no one's going to work for me. Like, I can't pay them. I'm, you know, 20 years old. Like, how am I going to get the money? I was interning myself at BBC News at that point. And I remember getting eight applicants and being like, whoa, this is way more than I thought it would be. And yeah, and then we went from there. You know, I how I was able to have them on as interns is that in exchange, we actually gave them college credit. And so it was just one point for 
coursework for credit, but that's great because most classes are three credit, right? And so this was awesome for their careers, but also them building the careers that they wanted in the future. So I started pretty young employing people and working with the team, like I said, and I think through those years, you know, we've been able to scale into having such a great team now and people that have been working with us since they were interns with me, which is insane to see now they're contractors. That's a long time. Oh my goodness. And that's also, it's also like the decision to make, like you saw what was happening in the world at that time, like Prince dying and decided to build your own thing. And I love that idea of like, it was humans of New York, et cetera. So obviously this started, this was the first year of it. How did you scale it while you were also working in full time in big media? Yeah. I mean, the real question is, how would I be, how would I have been able to scale it if I wasn't working in big media, right? Because the people that I was meeting, like Yara Shahidi, when I was interning at L to be able to feature her on ESG, was because I was interning at L. Literally, like she, I was walking out the elevator for my internship. She was walking in with her mom and I gave her a 30 second elevator pitch. By the end of it, I had my camera out and my interview questions ready for her. And so it's one of those things where you're prepared. You're not, you're not, you're ready for the moment to come, you know, not preparing for the moment. So I think to me, working in big media changed my life. It gave me access to certain people, places, and opportunities that could, you know, feed and grow every stylish girl that I wouldn't have been able to do on my own. Right. And also just helped me learn how to have email etiquette, how to code email, Right, how to send pitches to editors to feature my company. And it gave me relationships with those editors. So when it was time for me to get a feature in Vogue, I had worked with the editor, Sarah, for two years at the cut. It was nothing for her to, you know, speak highly about our company and interview me on our directory services and the work we're doing at ESG. Because she's seen it, right? She's seen me stay at the cut till 10 p.m. when the shift was over at 6 because I started, you know, I, I see this thing like I have a 9 to 5 and a 5 to grind, right? So as soon as I'm done with the cut, I'm working on ESG. And I did that every single day. And so it was so easy for those, my coworkers to vouch for me and talk about me in such, uh, you know, in such a high way because in such a respectable way, because they've seen the work that I've been putting in. So I think, it, I think it's so important if you can to, you know, have that nine to five while you have that five to grind, because you need to build those relationships, especially if you work in fashion and media, it's all about who you know, it's all about relationships. 100%. And I think it's so, I see a lot of parallels with my career and like how it helps me be a better creator as well because and I also think that is it's important to think about as we touched on before like not everyone can just be an influencer or be an entrepreneur like having work experience in the corporate world is not only beneficial for your like soft skills and your hard skills but it's also beneficial for networking purposes so you mentioned like you use networking and all of those experiences to help build your platform. So do you have tips for us um, or people who might be starting their first job around now and wanting to build a network, but wanting to not or feel a little bit intimidation when it comes to actually building and maintaining relationships with people? How do you do that effectively now? Yeah, I would always say, I even remember when I used to code email editors um, at different publications, let's say I was working at L, but I wanted to, you know, talk to someone at Harper's or Vogue, etc. I would 
do my research. I think oftentimes I don't know if Gen Z is doing this or not, or millennials. Like, I don't know if they're doing their research. Like, what are articles this editor has written about? Stock their Instagram. It's nothing to go and look through their Instagram and figure out maybe some of their hobbies. You never know. You could be from the same hometown. That's a gateway in, you know? So I think, and that takes 10 minutes to just go and do your research. I'm not saying you need to read every single article, but maybe the last two or three that they publish have an idea of topics that they like to write about. And so because I was able to do that research, I came prepared when the moment came and they did respond to my email and they were like, let's meet up for coffee. Let's chat. And I knew so much about them. How I actually got my first opportunity at Elle as an intern was because the assistant to the editor-in-chief at at Harper's Bazaar, we have the same name. Her name was Nana, literally. Like, (laughs) there's not that many Nanas in the industry. (laughs) And so I remember emailing her and being like, I know this is a little strange, but my name is Nana as well. And there's very few Nanas. And I had mentioned something I had read about her before um, she was in pageantry. I was like, I would love to treat you to coffee. Is that possible? We hit it off. And from literally from that introduction, she connected me to an opportunity at Elle and was like, hey, they have a paid opportunity there. You should apply there. Harper's unfortunately is unpaid at this time. I don't think you want to be here. <laughs> and I was like, you're right, because I'm in grad school, I'm broke, and I need to get compensated. And so, you know, I think it just goes, it's just those small things, like that really doesn't take much time. But I think people are overlooking that and just straight like sending DMs, right? And like contacting these people, and really just focus on themselves. Like, hey, I'm trying to do this. How do I get there? I am an editor of this, or I'm sorry, I'm an aspiring editor, I'm a spying stylist. And it's like, no, you need to focus on the person that you want to get that advice from first. And people love when you tell them things about themselves exactly absolutely i think like i get even at like a this smaller scale lots of questions like how did you get your job at google without if you just go to my page if you just go to my youtube like there's a pinned video like don't ask like not thinking about what questions they're going to ask when they get to that coffee chat and then it's a waste of time and that person doesn't want to help you because you clearly didn't you know, do your research before the meeting. So it's like, it's not always about just getting the meeting. It's about like showing up and knowing that you have clear intention and that you're there to be humble and learn. And that's like, I think like what a lot of Gen Z hasn't done so far yet too. Yeah, you need to treat every opportunity like it's your only one, right? So don't look at it like, oh, I'm probably gonna create a relationship with this person. No, (laughs) they're very busy. Like take that opportunity very specific questions and be prepared you know you're right I think that's it's it's so overlooked now and that it's it's a little unfortunate and I think for the people that are on the other side let's say like the change makers the leaders you know people like you that get these emails and people are reaching out to something I do as well if you don't have time to obviously sit with coffee with everyone is I just always have a list of all my interviews and I just copy paste it and send it like hey here's a list of you know probably some information you've asked me above how I got my start how I launched my company how I do partnerships literally it's all right here and I just drop them a link because like I get how difficult it is you know what I mean like and intimidating to even like send that email or send that DM. And so I always try to be as informative as possible, even if it doesn't lead to, you know, meeting in person or coffee. Like I still try to add some type of helpful resources or information for that person. I love that. That is such a smart idea right there. I am definitely going to steal it. So thank you. (laughs) 
All right. So we've talked a little bit about your career and how you've gotten to where you are, but I'd also like to know when you decided that you were done sort of like doing corporate full time and how you got to like now where you do like a myriad of things. Yeah. So I think thanks to, you know, in a weird way, thanks to the pandemic, because I think it really gave me the time I needed to sit home with my thoughts and like really figure out how am I going to transition and plan for the next five years? What is that going to look like? Because nothing is guaranteed, right? And I think that's what the pandemic showed us. Like your job is not guaranteed. Your career is not guaranteed. Nothing is. And so I said, if I was to be independent and work for myself, what would that look like, right? Financially, what would that look like? Structurally, what would that look like? And I had planned towards that, honestly. And I had actually already set a personal goal that I was going to leave the cut when I hit a million followers. That was actually always my plan. And I think I I still have it in my notes. There were three things I was going to do once the cut hit a million. I'm pulling them up in my notes. The first thing was I was going to, I was going to leave to a major company that was paying. And I think I said to myself, that was paying over 90K, right? Um, I was like, that was one of the first things I want to do. Secondly, I'm going to go back to school, right? That was another option that I had for myself. And then third option, which is like the riskiest, and what did I tell you? Risk at first. <laughs> so the third option was I'm going to work for myself full time and run every stylish girl. And that was the most intimidating option to me ever. But those are my three options. I always, in my life, I always have a plan A, B, and C. C is like the riskiest one, A is the most safe one, and the B is the middle one. It can go you know, either way, really. And so luckily, as I was getting close to a million followers at the cut, I think I was maybe like, let's say like 20k away, I got an opportunity to partner with Amex and Dell. There was this, it, it was so surreal, because this was my first ever long term partnership. And I remember being so intimidated by that partnership. And I was like, Oh, my God, how do I even how do I even set numbers for this? And thankfully, shout out to my friend Samira, who runs um, a PR company. She helped kind of, you know, get me the language and numbers that I needed to negotiate for myself and land a really amazing deal, actually. The deal was so great that I was able to quit my job and, you know, run off of that money for the rest of the year. And so I had left the cut, I think, in October, I think. I think it was like August, October. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I, I believe I left in August, but I continued to work with them for the rest of the year. And so September, October, November, December, I wasn't working at all. And I had enough income. They always say like, don't quit your job until you have six months of income, right? Set up. And so that, that partnership from Amex and Dell gave me that security net that I needed to say, okay, I'm going to quit the cut. Not only am I going to quit the cut and not go work for another company, I'm going to quit the cut and I'm going to work for myself, which was my riskiest goal that I didn't think was possible. And so that was a no brainer to me. That was just like a sign from the universe saying like, you can do this. Like you can work for yourself. You've put in the amount of hours to be able to do this, like allow yourself to grow and to take this risk. And so I did. And here we are almost, uh, I think it's two and a half years later and I'm still working for myself. And I'm not going to lie. Every day I wake up and I'm like, 
oh my God, like, what am I going to do if so-and-so crashes or if this happens? But I honestly have to remind myself, like, my career is not dependent on social media. I've had years of experience in multimedia journalism. I have a great resume. I've worked with so many companies. I can always go back and work for corporate America, right? But now I just have so much leverage to be able to do so because I've been running a company for five plus years. And so, yeah, I feel very well equipped. I'm not afraid anymore. And I just know that like, if it wasn't meant to be, I wouldn't have made it this far, right? I love that. And it's so true because like, even though you, like you've said this, like you're risk averse, like you still had the intuition and like the plan for anything that you wanted to do. And I also love the advice of making sure that your skills are transferable and that your nothing completely depends on like social media because social media is so fickle, like you never know, but you have skills and you have hard skills as an entrepreneur, soft skills as like a creator to be able to take anywhere with you. And that's really good advice for anyone who's looking to do any sort of entrepreneurship. Yeah, I was actually talking to a lawyer recently and she was like, don't depend on Web3. Like whatever you do, try to break out of that because, and she asked me, she was like, you know, how does ESG reach its audience of over a hundred thousand without Instagram? And I kind of was like, I almost struggled to answer that because yes, we have our amazing, you know, networking experiences in person. And yes, we have this amazing website and yes, we have our email listserv, but our email listserv doesn't reach a hundred thousand like our Instagram does. Right. And so then I started thinking, I was like, okay, great. Like we need to transition into text marketing, right? Like that's probably going to be the new level that I encourage a bunch of companies to transition to. Like if you have that high following on Instagram, if Instagram was to shut down tomorrow, how are you going to stay in contact with your followers, right? With your community. And so text, right? I don't know if I'm sure all of you know who are listening to the card game. We're not really strangers. They do such a successful job at keeping in contact with their community off Instagram. Like their text message marketing is so strong. Like it's a great example of successfully how to connect with your audience offline. So I highly, highly recommend like let's start being more futuristic. Like let's really start putting together ideas and ways that we can market and grow our businesses beyond just social media marketing, right? And so I've just really been thinking about that a lot. And we have a few avenues that we're going to do through our website. And that's all I want to say all that to say, like, why do you not have a website? Like so many small business owners and influencers don't have websites. And I'm like, I understand like Instagram is a great digital portfolio. I get it. But like, let's do real digital portfolios, which is having a .com. Like you need to have a website. Even if it's just a one pager, it doesn't have to have multiple pages. It could be just like a one pager. That's just your bio, your insights, your reach, your skill sets. Um, your technical skill sets, and yeah, just a one pager. And then if you have any press or any features, like definitely share that as well. But I think that's so, so important. Even when you're pitching yourself, I think to see that you only have an Instagram or only have a TikTok, it's not as valuable to me personally than someone that has their own website. I agree. I think it's important to, like, I remember when I started out creating content is that I took it very seriously when it came to the back end. And even though like I started my LLC, like even though I wasn't making like even like a thousand dollars a month, like I could see the future with that. And same with having a website, same with having just like a one-stop shop for people to get an idea of who you are. I think that that is super crucial because 
you've got to stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And like you said this with the preparation of interviews and understanding who people were, but things like having a website and things like getting ready for if social media were to crash are also super crucial to like being an entrepreneur, whether it's social media or it's just your personal portfolio in the work, the work world, whatever it is. Like my boyfriend's a software engineer, but he has his own website. And that's just because like, you never know like when a new opportunity is going to come up and who's going to find it, you know? Yeah. And I agree. And like, who doesn't want a side hustle nowadays, right? Cause you never know when your side hustle can transition to be your full time. And so even my friends who are engineers, they on the side create websites for businesses, right? And they make such good money from coding those websites too, as well. Never get too comfortable. Never feel like, Oh, you've been working at a company for five years. You're so secure. That's where you're going to be forever. Like you can't trust these companies. And I always say that all the time. Like, always create something that you can or have some type of investment on the side, at least. Absolutely. Okay. We've talked so much about career, but I'm thinking on time. So I want to shift into something a little more fun that you are a creator and influencer in your own right on your own page. Question for you is that you've, I've seen your like conversations before about like dating and the realities of today. Like the one about people paying, like men paying your rent and stuff. I showed that to my boyfriend. I was like, well, the girls clearly have an opinion on this. So what's going on? So is that like, how do you, how do you decide what to post and how to show up on social media and talk about those types of things? Yeah, so I always approach it as a journalist. I never share my own thoughts, right? Like I'm always very objective. I pose the questions and I allow the audience to engage and share their thoughts and I keep them anonymous, right? And so I think that's why people love it so much. And it's so funny. And I show my fr- I show like, not my friends, but like I show like people who are super close to me. And I'm like, I can't believe people are this vulnerable and honest with me. Like, I'm like, am I giving Oprah? Like, is that the energy right now? <laughs> but I, I love how people will tell me like how much they make, how much their partners make, how they're divvying that up. Like who's paying for what, who's doing And I'm like, wow. Like, and I always say, after every DM, I'm like, thank you for trusting me to, to be so vulnerable and transparent to share this information. And it only grows the conversation further, honestly. And I think this is just things we're seeing on TikTok right now. I had a really good conversation with my friend about this, actually. She was saying, like, you know, like, what is my perspective on how women on TikTok are saying all you need to do is be pretty and make your you know, male partner feel good. And that's all a woman needs to bring to a relationship and how women are mostly dating for like social status. And so we were talking about that in TikTok's like pop culture to like brainwash people and like give that message about dating and making women just like feel like they're only worthy of their looks. And I, and I truly hate that because I think, and I talk about this all the time, actually on my Instagram is like the type A woman, or sorry, not the type, wait, what is, is that? The woman who is like the boss, like she also wants to be the boss because but she also is like wants to be you know have someone who does like really sweet and thoughtful things for her and like you know all those nice things that come with that and so we were just saying like how there definitely needs to be a balance we're not saying like women quit your job and let a man pay for everything for you because there's no security with that we're saying like it's okay to like have someone who pays more you know, for rent than you want to, like, wants to pay for more dinners than you want to, but we're not saying, like, completely rely on that. Like, you should still be working. You should still be making your own money. Like, you should still be 
contributing to the relationship, right? I think it's horrible to say like, we're just about our looks and that's how men should value us. Cause like, that's the type of, like, that's the type of man you're going to get a man who only values you for your looks and not your work and not your like skills and everything you're bringing to the relationship beyond that. Right. And so, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting conversation. I would say majority of my followers contribute in financial ways to relationships but they also really enjoy the soft life like they love the being pampered by their guys they love their guys paying for trips for them flying them out here and there like but they work like there are women who are working at google like there are women who are working at instagram they have full-time jobs right they're business owners as well so they can also take care of themselves if the man cuts them off like they are good but i think it's hard too because i remember like when my boyfriend and I both started making money, I felt like uncomfortable or when he was making money and I wasn't like, I also even felt uncomfortable with like a man paying for things for me. And I feel like that perspective, like people haven't talked about, they're like, well, men should be paying for, and like, that's true. But the power, the patriarchy still exists. Like there is still this like power play that comes with money when it's between men and women too. So there's like lots of things to consider there, but the number one like takeaway is like women, like you, you deserve to be treated, but like, don't ever rely on that 100%. Exactly. But also it's interesting because women who are also saying like they're fine with the patriarchal setup is because they're okay with just like cleaning and cooking. You know, like there's definitely women in my DMs that are like, hey, like I clean and cook for my man. Make sure he doesn't lift a finger. He pays for everything from tickets to flights to going out to trips to this, to my pedicure and my hair appointments. He handles that. And that's our dynamic in our relationship. And so I think it's all about coming to that mutual agreement and having that conversation in your relationship, right? And then I'm going to be honest with you. There are Instagram, quote unquote, I guess you can call them baddies in my DMs that also date men that don't mind paying for everything, right? Whether it's their car note, whether it's their rent, paying for groceries. And those women are not cooking and cleaning for those men. And so I'm seeing a little bit of like everything in my DMs and it's so interesting. But I guess according to those women, like they could also find a baller, you know, like like they, because of the investment that they put into their looks, like they're saying like they can afford to do this, right? Because if one guy doesn't want to do it, another guy surely will for them. So yeah, I get a little bit of everything. It's interesting, honestly. Yeah, man, it's crazy. There's so many perspectives on like this new I don't know, now that we've been on social media for so long, or, not, or I guess in this new frame of like, like we said at the beginning, hearing so many people's opinions on so many different things, like the way feminism and like the concept of like women who work is changing in that is so interesting. And I feel like you do a great job of like talking about that conversation in a neutral way on your profile too. And it's so fun to hear. I'm so glad that you've cultivated a community that will like share with you um, so vulnerably too. To wrap things up, because I know we're getting to the end of the hour, I would love to know if you have any books, resources, podcasts that really changed your life, that really helped you get to where you are now. I'd like to have some tangible takeaways for people to look into once the episode is done. Yeah, so the first book I'm going to plug that I, I presume everyone who's listening to this is like an influencer or content creator and wants to start their own brand. I wrote an ebook that's like more things I wish people knew about when it comes to social media. And I highly, highly recommend it. Like it will really transform. Specifically, I focus on Instagram because that's kind of like my 
was my experience but yeah like it just talks about even just down to what to have in your bio right and like how to attract a new audience not just your not just your current audience but also how to keep your current audience engaged and so lots of really good tips there Another book that I really enjoyed is How to Become a CEO that just talks a lot about business, the business gaps, creativity, making a 10-year life plan. I'll let you guys kind of find more about that in that book. Um, Why You're a Badass. I think everyone really likes this book. I feel like everyone constantly posts about it all the time. It's more of like a self-help, like loving yourself, being your most unapologetic self. And then last book, Shoe Dog by the Nike founder. It really just taught me a lot about like resiliency because, oh my gosh, from being sued numerous amount of times, from being fired from so many jobs, like it's such an incredible book to let you know, like most businesses take five to 10 years to be successful. And I think because of the quickness of the immediacy of this generation, we think, like you said, it has to be an overnight success. And when you read that book, you know, the most successful businesses took five to 10 years. So I highly, highly recommend those books. There was one I read in college that also changed my life, but um, I can't remember. If anything pops up, I'll let you know later. But yeah, I was I highly recommend those books as my top tier ones. Oh wait, sorry, it was called the defining the defining decade. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, and it talks about this word that I'll never forget called like identity capital, and just speaking to like you as a person, what your value is, what you're bringing to the world, what your assets are, like. It just, it really deep dives into so many aspects of your life and your mind that you need to think about when you're 20s and you, and not everyone does, right? We overlook them. Fabulous. All right. So I have a final question that I like to ask everyone at the end of my interviews. And so it is, finish this sentence with something that you want young people or other people to know. You are too smart for... To take the first offer. <laughs> because like I said, I'm so big on negotiating. And yeah, I had a friend recently who just took their first offer as a high role. And yeah, it hurt me. And I was like, why? Never do that. Never do that. 100%. I'm with you on that. So thank you so much for coming on. Where can everyone find you? Obviously, we will link your ebook down below. But anything else you want to plug, let us know and let's do it. Be sure to follow our company at Every Stylish Girl. If you're someone who really wants to change the world of business, you're an entrepreneur, follow us at Every Stylish Girl Biz or you work in corporate America, either one. And then lastly, feel free to follow me for more relationship talks, career talks, talks about being an influencer, partnerships, etc. at It's Really Nana. Oh, and I guess some people come to me for fashion. <laughs> for more aesthetics and fashion, you can follow me at It's Really Nana on Instagram as well thank you so much alexis for having me this was so casual honestly i feel like we were sitting in a coffee shop the whole time just kicking it up yes that's the goal for the show so i'm so glad that you felt it and thank you for coming on thank you so much for listening to too smart for this i am so grateful that you took the time out of your day to take a listen to these conversations if you're looking for more content don't forget to follow us on instagram at two collective and don't forget to follow me your host alexis barber on the gram tiktok as well don't forget you can also watch our solo episodes on youtube so be sure to subscribe to my youtube channel alexis barber and we do a weekly giveaway of pr products or amazon gift cards 
cards to girls who leave great reviews down below. So please make sure to leave your reviews and follow us on Instagram to be notified in case you win. And with that, do not forget that you are too smart to not love yourself and see you in the next episode.